Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about Peter's denials. What did Peter say? I will die for you. What does Jesus say? I'm gonna die for you. What did Peter display? Fear. What do we see from Jesus all the way? Courage. Peter is deceptive in the courtyard. Jesus, even under interrogation, even to the point of death, he was the truth. Peter betrays Jesus, but Jesus is faithful. Peter promised to follow Jesus anywhere, even unto death. But only hours later, he denied having any association with him. If you feel like you've ever failed God, then we have an encouraging message for you today on The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. We're ascending the stairs to the upper room for a look at Peter, the great New Testament leader, at his worst. You can also access today's message in the entire Upper Room series online at thejourney.fm. But now here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson in John 13. Simon uh, Peter is famous for many things. The upper room, Gethsemane, and Caiaphas's courtyard would be three of his famous failures. And today what I want to do is uh, to begin in John, which is our, our uh, text for our series, The Upper Room, but to go from the upper room to Gethsemane, another big failure of Peter, and from Gethsemane to Caiaphas, uh, his courtyard, where Jesus was tried, which is probably Peter's most famous failure. In fact, there were three there, a little tip of what's coming. And by looking at these three episodes, all in one night, all within the span of a few hours, we see Peter at his worst. And so if you have ever failed God, Peter is your guy. We begin with his name. I said his name was Simon Peter. Really, his, his given name was Simon. When Jesus met Peter for the first time, he changed his name. Here it is in John 1. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Peter is a form of Petra, uh, which means rock. Okay, so... Uh, with what we're about to see in the story here with Peter's very flimsy character, Jesus naming him Peter sounds like a cruel joke. But I think that what Jesus does is he names him the rock to inspire Peter and to indicate who he needed to be and indeed who he would become later in the story. Uh, if you read Acts, Peter is a hero in the story, but not here in the Gospel of John. So we look at verse 36 here is the story. Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And we pick up now the story. And this is John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, John, 
went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So there they are now. Peter is there. There's a fire there. There's soldiers there. Jesus is in the house. Peter is in the courtyard. And one of these young servant girls looks at Peter. And we have denial number one with a servant girl. 18 verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Here we have Peter. For all of his uh, bravado, he is now a fearful man. A few hours before this, he boasted he would never deny Jesus. An hour ago, he swung a sword at a Roman soldier And now before a young girl, the word here, by the way, means a young girl. Think of a little girl. He will not admit that he knows Jesus to this little girl. So here's denial number two, chapter 18, verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. His fear leads to deception. He lied to the servant girl, and now he keeps the charade going. He lies to these soldiers, but pressure now is building, okay? He's there by the fire, but he sees these people, they're starting to whisper, And they're starting to point fingers. And now he gets paranoid. And you know what he's not thinking right now? He's not thinking, Jesus, I won't deny you. That thought, long gone, which leads to denial number three. A relative of Peter's victim, verse 26 of chapter 18. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And they're standing by the fire and the guy's looking at him and he's like, Weren't you one of those people that I saw there at Gethsemane? Now, this is a strong accusation because Peter lifted a sword against Roman authority. This now could mean that Peter himself would be arrested. So here we have another opportunity for Peter to be the rock. What does Peter do? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And that's where John ends the story. Luke tells the rest of the story with this. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And that comparison between the two of them, is intentional. It is trying to highlight both Peter's failure and Jesus' faithfulness. In fact, we could ask the question, why even tell this part of the story? Because in reality, Peter's actions here have nothing to do with our salvation. Like, we, you could take all of this out of, out of there. In fact, Peter cannot even deny Jesus, and you still have Jesus dying for our sins. You still have a Christology. You still have a gospel. We don't need Peter doing this for us to have a gospel that saves us. Why even include it as part of the story? And now we're moving to some application here that, that I want to encourage you with, and that is, first of all, number one, that Peter pictures our weakness 
and highlights the strength and courage of Christ. We have the courtyard and we have in the house. We got Peter in the courtyard, Jesus in the house. One is a display of human weakness and one is a display of divine strength. Let me draw this comparison for us here today. In the courtyard, we have Peter in the house is Jesus. What did, what did Peter say? I will die for you. What does Jesus say? I'm gonna die for you. What did Peter display? Fear. What do we see from Jesus all the way? Courage. Peter is deceptive in the courtyard. Jesus, even under interrogation, even to the point of death, he was the truth. Peter betrays Jesus, but Jesus is faithful. And we see in the courtyard failure, human weakness, just like us. But what do we see in the house? We see divine success. And the point of this is not for us to go, well, I should probably be more like Jesus. And I wanna, I, don't be like Peter, be like Jesus. If you get that, if that's the thing you walk away from here today, you are not getting what I'm trying to say to you. The point is that we are never Jesus. We're always Peter. And this realization ought to cause us to look into the house where Jesus was faithful and cause us to worship him. It is yet another example of why he is a worthy savior and worthy of our life. And of course, Jesus' story continues from the house to Pilate and to the beatings by the Romans, to his flogging, ultimately to his cross. And what is on display the entire way? Courage, faithfulness, dedication, obedience to the will of the Father, even to the point of death, Jesus. And so we see then this stark contrast between who Jesus is and represented in the character Peter, who we are, who we are. I remember after 9-11, Mark Wahlberg, the actor, boasted that if he had been in one of the planes, 9-11 would have ended up differently. Now, he later apologized for that, but it's a picture of how often we insert ourselves into stories and imagine ourselves to be the hero, okay? Or read a story like this and be like, ah, I'd be like Jesus, I wouldn't be like Peter. But in reality, we're constantly Peter. We are constantly Peter. And the story of Peter serves to glorify Christ in the contrast, to look in the mirror and to see how often we fail, how often we're fearful, how often we, by some action or word, deny or hide the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want anybody to know that. Just like Peter, we are flaky like Peter, sometimes worse than Peter. And why is that? As our church doctrine statement says, we are sinners by nature and by action. And that is true for Christians as well. We continue to have indwelling sin. We continue to fail the Lord. And yet, as often as we do, we constantly see Jesus there in the house and now in heaven, faithful. Faithful, obedient, perfect. And so we praise God that while we wilt in the courtyard, Jesus is faithful in the house. Peter helps Jesus look good, if you want to look at it that way. He helps him 
Not that he needs a lot of help. (laughs) But the contrast shows the glory of Christ. Secondly, I want to ask the question, why does God take us into the courtyard? Why does God take all the second Peters into courtyard? I want you to remember what Peter said there in the upper room. He said, I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. And Peter's comment here is revealing of heart issues that were going on in Peter. Peter, who's Peter impressed by? Is he impressed by Jesus? No, Peter is impressed by Peter. And he wants everybody to know how devoted he is. We see in this, Peter thinks he's the one laying down his life. He's the martyr. He's the savior. And tragically, this is D.A. Carson, tragically the boast that he would never deny his Lord even to the point of death displays not only gross ignorance of human weakness, but a certain haughty independence that is the seed of the denial itself. And friends, from this, we see that the real issue for Peter is not the courtyard. It's not how uh, uh, strong soldiers were or how little the girl was. The issue with Peter is his heart. And Jesus knew this. And Jesus knew Peter is going to lead the disciples. He's going to be one, lead the apostles. What does, what, what does Peter need to become the leader of the church that the church would need? How could he ever do this? He had to be broken. Peter was so full of himself, so sure of himself, so confident in himself. That had to be broken. I heard a story about Chuck Swindoll one time that he was at some seminary and you know when when a kind of famous guy like that is at a at a seminary you have all the seminarians they're all like you know puppy dogs around the you know they want to get close to some well sign my book you know all this sort of thing I never was that way <laughs> but some seminarian like shouted to Swindoll and said someday I want to be just like you and Swindoll's walking down the hallway he stops And he turns around and he says, if you knew what God had to take me through to get me to where I am today, I doubt it. How does God turn Peter into Peter? How does God turn you, friend, and me into the kind of people that he can actually use? To quote D.L. Moody, it's doubtful that God can use any man until he has broken him. In other words, we got to get over ourselves if we are ever going to be vessels in the hands of God. And Peter, proud Peter, had to be crushed. And oh, was he crushed. Remember, he imagine that scene. Somehow, I don't know if the door was open in the house or whatever, but Peter's by there by the fire and he denies it three times and the cock crows and he turns and somehow Jesus through the window or through the door, their eyes lock. And in that moment, Peter remembered and he runs out and, he, and it says he wept bitterly. I could be wrong, I haven't thought about this, but I don't think Peter's mentioned again until after the death of Jesus. He's nowhere to be found which is yet another proving the point that I'm getting at. He was so crushed out of the picture, he went. And so we have Jesus and his arrest and his flogging and his crucifixion and his death, and that is the macro plot. But there's this subplot 
that's going on with Peter all along the way. And it was necessary for the future leader of the church to be humbled. He was shown for who he truly was, proud and weak. And friend, I want you to, I wanna be a mirror here today. I want you to look at yourself and to look at your own life and to think about where you are on your, on your journey and to think about courtyard experiences. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I'm pretty sure you've had a few courtyard experiences along the way. The courtyard of humility. Have you spent time there? To think about your life and to think about some of the dumb things that you have done and that you have said. When I think about the dumb things and, that I've done and said, I truly would be embarrassed to, to tell you. I got them. You got them. But I can relate to Peter. I can relate to Peter this week. How about you? And here's the challenge when we face something in our life that on the surface we think is like, we pray, God, take this away from me. Take this trial out of my life. I would be better off if this wasn't true in my life. And we fail to realize that God is slowly crushing our sense of self-reliance. That God is committed to helping us get over ourselves so that we can see the glory of the one in the house and the glory of the one on the cross. And we have to realize that when God is imposing weakness on us, and this could be our health, it could be our family, it could be trials at work or whatever, that when God is doing this, that this is actually his grace to us. Now we view it maybe as his judgment or something, but it is actually his grace to us. He is humbling us. And you know why he's humbling us? Because he loves us. And he knows that for us to ever be who he would have us to be, we have to get over ourselves. And so he places us next to the fire in the courtyard. And he helps us to see how incredibly weak we actually are. Is it a coincidence that the guy, the church guy, with the greatest failure is the guy with the greatest fame. And this is hard to do, okay? It requires a certain, almost reverse psychology, if you will, when you're in a trial or when you're in some kind of trouble of some kind, or when you've blown it and you have to just stare at the failure, your own, you're disappointed with yourself, I have found that one thing that helps me is when I just look at the ugliness and I think to myself, that feeling I have inside of disappointment or discouragement, to think, this is good for me. This is good for me because this helps Steve get over Steve. And I wonder today if the thing that as I talk like this, you're thinking about in your life and I'm not saying there's good and evil or anything like that, but the fruit of the trials that God brings in our life, there is a sweet goodness in them. If we can think about the good effect it's having, or to say it this way, anything that helps me die to me is good for me. May I say that again? Anything that helps me die to me is good for me. I think if you could ask Peter, and you know, Christian, you're gonna meet Peter someday. That's kind of a crazy thought, isn't it? 
All these people we read about, the, the, the men and women of faith, someday in heaven, we're no doubt gonna bump into them and, and be like, Peter, hey, hey, Peter, great in Acts, not so good in the Gospels. I gotta ask you a question. I was, I was kind of wondering, like, you know, that whole thing in your, in, you know, the night Jesus was arrested and all that. If I could just ask you, Peter, what was the most important moment in your whole spiritual life? Like what was, what was the most, not the greatest, highest, most emotional, most goosebumpy, but what was the most important one? I think it's likely that Peter would say, hearing the rooster crow. That was the most important spiritual moment in Peter's life. Like lava, Peter had to be turned to liquid for him to become the rock. And I wonder today, dear friend, if you might retrain the way you're thinking about the particular trial or trouble, the failure in your life, the thing in your past that's so embarrassing. I wonder if you could look at it from this perspective. Why are you there? Did you blow it? Somebody wrong you? Somebody you trust betray you? Somebody disappoint you? Maybe it's a trial related to your health or your family or whatever. But I wonder if you can see in Peter the deeper reasons that God had him go through that and to realize that what God intends or what man intends for evil, God intends for good and to look at the thing that you're going through that is so embarrassing, so shame-giving, so humbling, so breaking, and to look at it through the lens of Peter and to realize that it's painful, it's failing, but what it does is it makes the Savior in the house all the more wonderful and all the more beautiful and all the more worthy of devotion and worship in obedience, this Jesus. This St. Peter we're talking about later writes two letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. We call them 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 1 Peter, he writes a summary of that fateful night. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A good conclusion. A good conclusion indeed, reminding us of the transformative power of humility before God. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the first part of a message titled, Peace I Give. To hear it again, visit thejourney.fm. Well, as we contemplate Peter's journey today, we're encouraged to embrace humility in our own lives, recognizing that it opens the door to God's abundant grace. However, despite the transformative grace available through humility, there are still millions who haven't experienced this blessing because they have yet to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here on The Journey, we're committed to sharing God's Word daily through the radio and web, providing a platform for individuals to nurture their connection with Jesus and embark on a journey of faith. Whether you're seeking to deepen your existing relationship or considering following Christ for the first time, our mission is to make the gospel accessible to all. As a listener-supported program, we depend on the generosity of friends like you. Your financial contributions empower us to spread the truth of the gospel to listeners around the world. Would you consider giving today? You can call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. 
That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you do, we'll say thank you by sending you The Upper Room by John MacArthur. During the final hours before Jesus' betrayal, Jesus gave his disciples and all believers throughout history his parting promises. The Upper Room encapsulates the essence of Christ's last will and testament, preserving the timeless words that bring us comfort and assurance. In this book, you'll discover that these promises are not confined to a particular moment in history. They transcend time and are the rightful inheritance of every believer, including you. And you can request your copy by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve begins a powerful message titled, Prayer in Jesus' Name. That's Wednesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.